I had a big week this week. I made it back to a movie theater. A drive-in movie theater. Whoa. What'd you see? We saw the original Ghostbusters. Got some Bill Murray action. Um, I've never been to a drive-in before, though, so that was kind of exciting. Yeah, I've only been once. Actually, no, I've been twice. I went in college with some friends, and we saw the double feature of Godzilla and The Amazing Spider-Man 2. So, nice, nice. Wish I was dead for all five plus <laughs> hours of that. And then the other one was I was a kid. We saw a double feature of Happy Feet 2 <laughs> and Santa Claus 3, The Escape Clause. Oh, so that, that was a good one. That yeah. was a good I still one. think I would have rather been dead for all 10 hours of those. So. No, 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 no. Santa Claus 3. <laughs> Santa, Claus, Santa Claus 3, I mean, that's the best one, right? <laughs> Jack Frost, yeah. Hell yeah, Martin Short. Martin. <laughs> Tim Allen. Look out for a review of Santa Claus 3, The Escape Clause coming this holiday. We're not going to review the other two, just the third one. <laughs> What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of The Arnie's. We are three George Lucas fans with nothing better to do. I'm Austin Terry, and I'm joined, as always, by my best buds, Matt Johnson and Keith Baker. Matt, how are you today? I'm fine. Do not include me in George Lucas fan category. (laughs) Other than that, move on to Keith. Man, I am good. I just got out of the time loop, guys. I'm, I finally escaped oh, it. Oh, yeah. So, um, I'm glad I made it to August 9th. Uh, I was stuck in August 8th for about 7 million days. So, I'm, it's going to be out. Ready to live my life again. So, Dang, you got stuck again? What are you doing to Mark Hamill? <sighs> I don't know. He just really doesn't like me. He's taking all his anger out on me. So, Alrighty. Well, speaking of Mark Hamill, today our Star Wars series continues with Episode 1, The Phantom Menace. We are diving headfirst into the prequels, and I gotta say, I'm a pleasantly surprised host today. I don't know how you two feel, but this movie has definitely moved up in my Star Wars rankings. Um, this, that is for sure not something I expected to happen with any of the prequels, but Matt, give us some thoughts so we can get right into this film. What do you mean moved up in the rankings? <laughs> in, my, in my personal rankings. Well, where was it before? Right now it's going to be second, but that's kind of a spoiler for the end. This is, big, this is big news i think this movie's garbage i like was skipping through it i had plenty of time to watch it and i skipped through most of it it sucks so this movie has not moved up in my personal rankings as of today i mean it's last <laughs> for me it's last still Let's start, as always, with our cast. We have Liam Neeson as Qui-Gon Jinn, Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan Kenobi, Natalie Portman as Padme Amandala, Jake Lloyd as young Anakin Skywalker, Annie, Ian McDermott as Senator Palpatine, and Kira Knightley, who plays Padme's, Padme's decoy. <laughs> <laughs> Doing an incredible uh, monotone voice, this movie. I guess they both were. They're like, Viceroy. (laughs) The cast in this movie is garbage, dude. Everybody was terrible. (laughs) Dang. Wow, I I disagree with that completely. Um, But this film is also written and directed by George Lucas and scored once again by John Williams. Um, So let's get into some of the production. Um, So Return comes out in 83. And then throughout the rest of the 80s, Lucas says he has no desire to return to Star Wars. And he actually canceled plans for a sequel trilogy. However, there was a successful comic book run in the early 90s, um, which showed Lucas that there's still an audience for Star Wars. And with continued um, advancements and special effects, um, he had always found the idea of doing prequels fascinating. And so he felt um, in the kind of the mid 90s that he could tell an even grander story um, with a broader plot and world. So he eventually announced that he was going to start production on the first prequel film in 93. Um, and then that's when he started like working through the storyboards that he'd already written from the original trilogies and began officially uh, starting work on a prequel trilogy. Mm-hmm. 
Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the word that sticks out there is you say grander, and he certainly tried, but every grand aspect of this movie that he put in is just so fucking boring. I don't care about any of the politics. I don't care about any of the the trade federation routes that are being taxed. (laughs) I mean, I just, I don't care. I don't care. Um, um, see, so the the word that stood out to me and all that was special effects. Um, oh, yes, that too. Apparently, 1,900 shots in this film has visual effects, and the only scene with no effects is the opening scene when the Jedis get gassed in the Trade Federation Center. Yeah. That's the only scene in the whole movie with no special effects. You can tell. I mean, it's just <laughs> very obvious. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It, it, yeah. Special effects certainly aren't holding up. I mean, there's some good shots, but I mean, overall doesn't look so good these days. Well, this movie comes out um, in 1999. It makes $924 million worldwide against a $115 million budget. Um, and it receives very mixed critical reviews. Um, it currently has a 53% on Rotten Tomatoes. Many critics praise the visual effects, as always, with the Star Wars film. Um, a lot called it a stunning achievement. Um, it was also praised for telling a good story. However, many criticized the dialogue and didn't find the characters very compelling. And something else I was really, I really found surprising when I was reading some of these older reviews is multiple critics were sure to point out that they felt this film would be more fondly looked upon with time, and that these characters would age better than the characters in the original trilogy. Well, just like we thought Anakin would bring balance to the Force, we're not always right about these future <laughs> predictions. <laughs> uh, anyway, I just found it so interesting because, like. Obviously, this film was very under. It did not live up to the hype that was building for this movie, and it almost seems like critics were really quick to point out, like nothing's going to live up to the hype of a new Star Wars film. But just give this film time, and it might age better than like living up to your immediate expectations. I don't know. I guess I I liked it better when I first saw it rather than when I watched it rewatched it last night. So I guess it didn't age too well for me. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I think it does, definitely has some scenes that are some of the best scenes and throughout the entire Star Wars. Whether we'll get into later, like I'm talking the lightsaber scenes and all that. Okay. Um, yeah. But besides that, I get where you're kind of coming from, Matthew. Like the yeah, the writing's kind of off and the story's just kind of off with this one. So. Yeah. Well, let's get right into the first act. Um, we open with the Galactic Republic in turmoil. We learn in the opening crawl that there is a taxation dispute in the Republic. A faction called the Trade Federation has launched a blockade on the planet of Naboo, and two two Jedi Knights have been dispatched to resolve the conflict through negotiations. However, negotiations never happen, and the Trade Federation instead invades Naboo, prompting Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan to try and rescue Queen Amidala before she is captured by the Trade Federation. Yeah, a lot going on immediately. (laughs) A lot going on. That's actually what Lucas wanted, too. He wanted there to be multiple plot points all converging on one another. No, I could tell. We'll get to that. (laughs) We'll get to that at the end where he picked five incredible storylines to cut back and forth. (laughs) No, but here, I mean, it starts off good. I mean, the beginning of this movie is pretty solid, I think. Um, I like the introduction to the Jedi. I like that they're not... um, I like that they're introduced on like a mission for the government. You know what I mean? Like this is what yeah, they they're like to diplomats. Yeah. At this point we're supposed to only know how they existed and we have Obi-Wan and Yoda to look to in the originals and then the stories they tell, but now we're actually seeing what they were used for, um, which is cool. And I like that they get there. I like that the first line is I have a bad feeling about this. I like that, you know, they're gassed and, then the choreography with the lightsabers is already way cooler. So it certainly gets off to a good start. I, I, I enjoy kind of the sequence for sure. I really like how the, the senior trade federation people are like really terrified when they learn that the ambassadors are Jedis. Like the mm-hmm. droid comes and tells them that they're Jedis and then they go, Oh, well I'm not going in there. Like send in the droid armies. Like you can tell that the well, Jedi have this well, hold on, hold on, hold on. I, I can't remember which one you're talking about. Can you do an impression of them? So I have a better idea. There's no way I'm doing an impression of them. <laughs> but my lord, is that legal? <laughs> oh no! Oh, Jedi Knights. <laughs> yeah. oh. So, Matt, I actually found like kind of the opening politics and like polit- like political and congressional storylines really interesting. I-, I get that like a taxation dispute isn't the most exciting plot, 
But I, I kind of found it like a really interesting way to get into what the old government was like. Why didn't why didn't the politics work for you? Uh, I'm sure it's part of a larger conversation. Um, but I guess the key points were, I think you have to kind of look at what the franchise was. So it's like I'm watching episodes four through six, and then I watch this as a prequel. And it kind of this feels like there's no middle ground because the originals feel very little political stuff. Obviously, there's lots of military talk and um, storylines involving, you know, their military. But we get here in the prequels and then it's just, whoa, it just feels like getting hit by a truck in a way. Like, it's not like they just introduce a little bit of political stuff and then maybe we get into more of it later. It feels like, I mean, the opening title crawl is just like, nonsense it's like what i mean like we know we know what it means we know what it means now because we've seen episodes two and three but like reading it like trying to put that out of your mind it's like huh like like uh trade routes and taxing them and they've created a a blockade and i guess my main answer to your question is i just feel like there's so many interesting plot lines in this movie that when you spend maybe half of them getting this deep into political stuff. It's like, I want to see more with the Jedi. I want to see more with young Anakin. I want to see Obi-Wan and Anakin interact. I want more Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan because Obi-Wan for some reason stays on the ship, the entire Tatooine segment. (laughs) So it's like, there's so much stuff that this prequel, I feel like is supposed to hit on, but they don't in favor of Palpatine's rise to power, which feels like they could have just, it could have been simplified. And there's just so much. I just, I, I mean, I guess that's the simple answer. It just it feels way too much to me. I feel like there could have been less of it and still okay. maintain some excitement. Well, so let's keep moving. Uh, what, are y'all's, what are y'all's thoughts on Liam Neeson as Qui-Gon Jinn in this film? I found him a, a way better mentor than Obi in the originals. Um, I wouldn't say... I wouldn't. I don't know if I would say way better mentor, but I get where you're coming from. I think he is a good mentor, though. I thought he was pretty badass in a weird way. I thought it was cool how he kind of drifted in a different direction than than, than the uh, the Jedi Council. He kind of was defiant. Yeah, I like that he kind of thinks for him thinks for himself. Yeah, he was kind of defiant towards a lot of their rules and codes and all that. So I mean, it was kind of cool him, and so he definitely saw something different in Anakin. But obviously, the Council saw what the real side of Anakin was. And, and so that's kind of interesting. We'll, I, we'll get into that. We'll, later. Get, into, we'll get into that. Because <laughs> like the whole movie, they're like, we can't train him. His future is too dangerous. It's like, but you acknowledge he's the chosen one. Wouldn't you rather have this guy on your side? I don't get it. <laughs> we'll get into that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a, it's an interesting thing to bring up. I don't know if he's a better mentor. I mean, we joked about how bad of a mentor, you know, Ben Kenobi is and a new hope, but I guess it's kind of hard. He's certainly in a different position than somebody like Qui-Gon is in like the days of the Jedi at their peak. I mean, things are certainly different, whereas Obi-Wan in the future is basically by himself and he's trying to train this kid. So he lies to him a lot, I think, to kind of really hope to bring him in. But yeah, I mean, I guess simply, is he a better mentor? I guess to Anakin, certainly, but um, I do like the little bits of the relationship we get between him and Obi-Wan, but at the same time, there are some funny bits where it's like, <laughs> I love whenever they're standing in the council room. And like you, like Austin said, I do also like that Qui-Gon is a bit defiant. I think Yoda even use, uses that word that Obi-Wan now has, like Qui-Gon's defiant nature or whatever. But um, he's like, I'm going to train Anakin. They're like, no, he's like, I'm going to. And then Mace Windu is just like, well, you can't have two. And he's like, <laughs> Well, I don't want Obi-Wan anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready to face the trials. <laughs> yeah, but I but Qui-Gon, he like also like throws shade at Obi-Wan at the same time. He's just like, he's headstrong and arrogant, but I can't teach him anything else. <laughs> it's like, what the fuck? <laughs> fuck you, man. But uh, no, I'm more just making a joke out of it. But he's a good mentor to Anakin, I think. Yeah, I think he certainly sets him on the path, which I think is kind of the whole purpose of the Qui-Gon character. I think trying to you know, pull in Anakin. And then by the end, obviously he goes off uh, to set him up to be with Obi-Wan. I guess it does kind of beg the question because it's more kind of just what we wish could have happened maybe, but is there a way they could have done this where at least Obi-Wan's more involved with the meeting of Anakin and probably would have been better um, because certainly we'll get to attack of the clones whenever they skip 10 years. And then basically these two are just best friends. So it's like, we see them in Attack, in Attack of the Clones and their best friends. 
And then in this one, they barely know each other. And then we don't see that what happened in the middle. So it kind of makes me retroactively wish we would have gotten more with them. Um, but they certainly, I guess, just wanted to focus on Qui-Gon. Whenever at the time they pull in someone as huge as Liam Neeson, I guess, you know, you can't really fault them for that. Ewan McGregor was certainly up and coming at that time, but he was not a star. Um, so it kind of makes sense. Maybe they're like, you know, we'll cast Liam Neeson as, you know, the mentor for Obi-Wan and then... So did you guys like did you guys like ne- Liam Neeson in this role? Yeah. The people that we remember the most fondly from the originals are the ones that were able to kind of take such terrible dialogue at times and still make it work. I think Liam Neeson was certainly very capable of explaining, oh my God, we talked about the last ones. The force here is gone. It's gone. <laughs> I mean, the stuff they set up in the originals, I don't know what they're talking about anymore. Um, but somehow, man, he kind of sells it and makes it interesting. And I don't, it's not because of the writing. There's nothing about the writing no, that is yeah, interesting. It's, it's just, it needs kind of sells it. just, yeah, he just carries. You know, it actually, actually he does. I agree. It, yeah. it does. Um, it does remind me random um, example, but it reminds me of um, Batman Begins. I remember listening to Christopher Nolan <laughs> talking about it, and he was saying, "You remember that line? Um, never Liam Neeson um, knocks Bruce Wayne into the water when he's training him, and then like it cuts them at the fire, yeah. and he like he just says like something like like uh, Bruce Wayne is like freezing. He's like, oh, just like." rub your stomach or whatever and like your body will take care of the rest something like that christopher nolan was like i have that's not true like i don't know what he was talking about but he really sold it <laughs> we just left it in <laughs> so it's like liam neeson's one of those actors you can kind of just take anything and make you believe it so i guess in a way he was kind of a perfect casting for this uh we eventually do get down in the boo and then right off the bat we're introduced to jar jar hell yeah <laughs> Immediately, they literally go, okay, Obi-Wan, let's stow away on two separate ships and I'll meet you down there. And then two seconds later, it's just Qui-Gon sprinting through the woods. <laughs> like, oh my God. And then Jar Jar is like freaking out. I mean, it's, it's like, whoa. <laughs> like, it was like, I, mean, <laughs> I did forget to mention... I did forget to mention in our critics portion that Jar Jar Binks was universally shit on by all the critics. Yeah. <laughs> so. We'll get into Jar Jar for sure. I guess now is the first who we can talk about him. Um, it's hard to Ahmed Best who played him. Every, I mean, people talk about this. It's hard to fault him. It just seems like direction. And it seems like George Lucas, I mean, just looking at this movie, it, it's clear that he was just so into getting as much special effects as he could. So I think he honest, and he's like notorious for being a terrible director of actors. So it, it kind of just seems like they cast this guy to play Jar Jar and then he's like, we're just going to make him look cool. Who cares? We'll make him like do fart jokes and step in shit a lot and numb his tongue so the kids laugh. <laughs> that's all this character is. And it's like, that's fine if you're going to do that. But does he have to be a main character? <laughs> like, Yeah, he's just every everybody shits on Jar Jar. So I don't want to spend too much time here. But just every time he talks, he just he's so yeah. annoying. Like all mm-hmm. all of his lines are terrible. Everything he does just like makes him look like a bumbling idiot, which I know is supposed to be funny, but none of the comedy works from him. Yeah. Like, yeah. honestly, the funniest people in this film are 3PO and R2, which I was really <laughs> yeah. surprised by. I was just going to say, I think we we shit on 3PO so much in the originals, but the difference there is that 3PO isn't... Every, every line that 3PO has isn't a joke or intended to be a joke. He's just annoying because... His character in that world is annoying. All the other characters yeah. think he's annoying too, and they comment on it. Um, so that's just his character. Yeah. Um, here, Jar Jar. I do like how Qui-Gon is very annoyed with Jar Jar. That's true. That is true. Film. I mean, like, the characters certainly treat him that way as well, but not as much, weirdly. And he, it's like everything he says is, is clearly supposed to make you laugh. And then like, like literally, like they'll just do things where they're just walking, and then like the camera will pan out, and he steps in shit. It's like, why did that have to happen? <laughs> just so I'm supposed to laugh again at this character? Like, it's it's weird. And he's such a main character. We'll talk about it in the next two movies, but in the next two movies, actually, I think he's used pretty well and in interesting ways, and in very just like small, like purposeful ways. And here, he's just a main character for the sake of showing off cool CGI at the time and to make kids laugh. And he's in it so much. <laughs> so Shit, dude. I, I remember him only being in the first one. He's in the next two as well. Barely, barely. No. He, doesn't, like even, said, he doesn't even speak English. He, like, he's, yeah. <laughs> like I said, I think he's used in cool ways in the next two. But in this one, he's not used in cool ways because he's in every 
fucking shot. He's in the whole movie. So, yeah. Okay, well, so Qui-Gon and Obi uh, go with Jar Jar to meet the Gungan uh, royalty. Mm-hmm. And then, meanwhile, um, the Trade Federation droid army takes the palace in Naboo and takes the queen and her uh, subjects into captivity. What are y'all's thoughts on the droid army? Just really quick before we move on here. Um, do they work for you in this film? Do you think they're cool? Not a, not as not as badass as the, the clones, for sure. No. It kind of seems like they only exist so we can see a lightsaber cut something in half and like not have to have it be rated R. I think part of it's that. I also, again, everything in this movie is trying to go for comedy. I mean, like the droids look cool, definitely. And like, yeah, I don't, I think there's a reason the droids are introduced in this one. We get to the clones later and then the stormtroopers later. I think they're introduced here just to show off cool choreography because they're so slim. You can just do whatever you want. And they're obviously just little robots, but again, everything they say has to be a joke. <laughs> like their yeah. droids are supposed to be so funny and they're yeah. not. I, I do want to comment on one thing that Keith said whenever he's like, uh, or also whichever one of you just said that you can like destroy them. There's one scene in the open <laughs> that I laughed at. Like uh, whenever they come out of the gas, Obi-Wan decapitates one of them and then also stabs it in the back. It's like, <laughs> that seemed like a waste. It seemed like a waste of a stroke. He literally <laughs> decapitates it and then it's like, <laughs> in the back. Well, he doesn't, he doesn't get to use his lightsaber a whole lot, so he's got to take full advantage know, of it. And McGregor was like, look, I'm not in this movie, so you need to, in my contract, I need to slash at least as many times. <laughs> roger, roger. <laughs> uh, you're under arrest. <laughs> and I, yeah, I know. Anyway, I mean, they're fine. I, I agree with Keith, though. I think the droids were kind of introduced here to set up something cooler, which is the clone army in the future ones. So Obi and Qui-Gon and Jar Jar make it to the palace. They convince her to go to Coruscant um, so she can meet with the Senate and hopefully put an end to the Trade Federation blockade. Um, So they take off and try to fly through the blockade. However, the ship they're in gets slightly damaged and R2 comes out to save the day. Oh yeah. I thought it was a pretty cool intro to R2. This is actually pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. He's got a again R2. Look at R2's intro, then look at three PO's. (laughs) You can just tell he's laying down. (laughs) He's like naked. You can just tell which uh droid the people like more. I mean R2's intro is literally he's one of four droids to go up and fix the shield generator. The other three get exploded by gunfire and go into open space and we hear them scream as they fly away. And R2 just, you know, luckily manages to do it. And then that's our intro. So pretty badass. R2's always been a badass. It's just in his circuits, mm-hmm. just like the way he was in the original trilogy. You're right. You're right. Always fixing everything. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, let's get into the second act. Yeah, so yeah, so R2 is able to save the ship, but of course, you know, they have to set up some conflict, so didn't do it fast enough, the shield is damaged, and then their hyperdrive is also damaged, so they basically have to land somewhere besides Coruscant to kind of get fixed up. Yeah. And where are they going to land? In the smallest galaxy in the universe, Tatooine, because guess who's also from there? Anakin Skywalker. <laughs> <laughs> they are trying to get the Coruscant, but the hyperdrive's broken, so they do have to take shelter on Tatooine. Um, eventually, we do meet a young Anakin Skywalker who's enslaved to the merchant Watto. Um, Anakin reveals he's a pod racer and agrees to race for the parts Qui-Gon Jinn needs to fix the ship. Um, Qui-Gon eventually sees Anakin has force abilities and decides to free him from slavery and take him to be trained as a Jedi. And I wish we could just continue on, but we can't. Because there are so many amazing, iconic moments here. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So, first of all, again, isn't it weird that Obi-Wan is left on the ship? There's so many people on this ship that, like, Qui-Gon could communicate with and be like, hey, can you read this sample? Hey, how you doing? Instead, he leaves Obi-Wan there, and he takes takes R2? (laughs) Why? To show Watto for two seconds what the ship looks like and that's it and then he takes jar jar why and then padme's like okay i'll take her too dude i hated this (laughs) like why don't they take him but anyway let's move past that because we're about to get to some good comedy we meet anakin skywalker his first line incredible looks at padme who he will eventually have babies with even (laughs) though she looks 33 and he's eight and uh which nine He's nine. And how old is she? Because I, even though I'm guessing she's like 20 something, maybe. 
No. No, I think she's, she's supposed to be like 17. Uh, yeah, I know she's supposed to be way less, but it's still weird because she doesn't look that young, especially in her queen makeup at the end where she looks 42 <laughs> and looks over to him and they like like flirt with each other, like they bite each other's lips. Like, very weird. He's just like grinning and he's like 11. <laughs> anyway, so his first line to her is, and Jake Lloyd, the great actor. Again, we're not going to shit on him too much either because he's heard enough of it, but we're still going to say these lines. He gives a better performance than Mark Hamill does. <laughs> in, a new, in A New Hope? Okay, I think I might be sold on that because Mark Hamill is just so bad in that movie. I think I might agree with you. So uh, Anakin Skywalker's first line, he looks at this 33-year-old woman and he's like, are you an angel? <laughs> And yeah, and Anakin definitely has the, the worst dialogue written for him. Yeah, it's not but great. I feel like just like just like Qui Gon, Jake Lloyd does <laughs> um, more with what he was given. <laughs> Joy Clayd. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, Jake I, Lloyd. I, I, can, I, I can't give him too much credit, but sure. I mean, his dialogue is so bad. I think he does serviceable. I mean, there's tons of shitty child actors out there. Is he the worst? No. I think it's just because, you know, it's a prequel movie where they cast a nine-year-old Anakin Skywalker. So it's pretty iconic stuff. And we know where that leads. So I think people are just extra harsh on him. I think in the ending sequence, whenever he's um, piloting around, actually, I actually really like some of the lines he delivers. And I actually think that sequence is kind of cool because it's like we talk about in the originals, like Mark Hamill is just after training barely he's an amazing pilot an amazing jedi blah 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 we actually see anakin as a really good pilot in the pod racing sense and at the end which is pretty cool for going forward but yeah just the performance there's some terrible lines i don't know how he delivered it as okay as he did speaking the the tattooing language tutasa putasa Yeah, it's funny. It's funny hearing them speak it, and then it's funny watching the only human basically there also speak it. It's just funny to watch. Uh, yeah, and then of course we get Keith and I. The line that we say to, like to each other over and over again for years is, uh, "What does Padme say? Like, does she say, are you a slave?'" Yeah, she says, "You're a slave." Yeah, like surprise, which seems like a, a very aggressive way to ask that. And then Anakin's like, "No, I'm a person. My name is Anakin." <laughs> And that's supposed to be like the grand moment where the audience goes, that's Darth Vader. It's just looking like, my name is Anakin. <laughs> so while, while Padme and Anakin are talking, Qui-Gon is trying to get Watto to uh, take his Republic credits to buy the hyperdrive part, but the Republic credits don't work here. So he uses uh, the Jedi mind tricks, but that doesn't work on Watto either. Um, eventually, Qui-Gon is forced to leave the shop and try to find another way um, as they're walking through the market, Jar Jar is almost killed by Sebulba, who is another pod racer. And Anakin comes out and saves Jar Jar from Sebulba. Oh my gosh. And Sebulba, of course, wants to murder this child. Like, Sebulba <laughs> gets away with murder a lot, apparently, on the pod racing track. And apparently, he and Anakin are rivals. So. Yeah, looks like Anakin saving Jar Jar might have repercussions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so Anakin tells Qui-Gon that there's a storm coming in and they're not going to be able to make it back to their ship in time, a sandstorm. And he offers to have them all come stay at his house where they're introduced to Anakin's mother. And we're reunited with our favorite character, 3PO. Wow. Again, pretty small galaxy, people. Matthew, how many times do I have to tell you it's the Force? No, oh, you're right. The Force it's brought them all together. all connected, Matthew. It's all connected. Everything's Even connected. that old hag sitting on her porch talking about how the storm is coming. There's a storm coming, Annie. Better get home quickly. <laughs> um, I do like that they show Anakin like seeing Qui-Gon's lightsaber, and that kind of spurs him to... I think like trying like, Oh, you guys should come, you know, with me. Cause he's just so curious about it. I think that's pretty cool. I like they showed that. Yeah. Um, and yeah. And then, like you said, we're introduced to um, Anakin's mom, who not a great actress, <laughs> not a great actress, Anakin's mom. Yeah, she's, a, she's pretty <laughs> rough. Sheenie Skywalker. Yeah. So lots of good stuff here. They have dinner Jar Jars. I'm sure just, Oh my god! They have that scene where he just like like a frog getting a fly grabs whatever food it is, and then Qui Gon literally grabs his tongue 
it's like ugh. There is there is a scene here that genuinely made me laugh out loud, mm-hmm. and it's when three uh, PO is introduced to R two, and R two tells him his parts are showing. Yeah, I don't know why, but that actually made me yeah. laugh. That was actually that's, pretty funny. Yeah, I mean that's one of those jokes that I think you know you see in kids' movies, but it's good for a chuckle. I like that. Yeah. Well, it's it's funny because you can't hear what R two is actually saying, so it's just funny hearing three PO react to it. And it's cool seeing them meet, obviously. 3PO will be a dick to this uh, droid for the rest of his life, but still cool to see them <laughs> meet originally. <laughs> Which actually, you know what? I just fucking realized it. That's why they brought R2 here. They had that bullshit throwaway line where uh, Qui-Gon's like, here's my droid. He'll show you a picture of our ship. And then you're like, that's why you brought this thing all this way, but you had to leave Obi-Wan on the ship? No. The reason they brought R2 is so they could have a fan moment where they go, oh my god, R2 <laughs> I mean, that's why, duh, I'm an idiot. That's why, that's why he's right here. Yeah. It's so George Lucas can sell more R2 toys, he can sell more 3PO toys, and he can sell more Jar Jar toys the more they're on screen. I know, because now he can sell a naked 3PO variant action figure. So, yeah, there you go. Um, so while they have dinner, though, Anakin does reveal that he's a pod racer and he's the only human in the galaxy that can do it, which causes Qui-Gon to realize he may have force abilities. Um, eventually Anakin offers to race it in the pod race to get to help gain the parts for the ship that they need. Right. Um, and originally his mother refuses, but then weirdly decides it's for the good of the galaxy. Well, also it's like, we know he's been doing it. So like, why? Yeah. Yeah. Just a weird like conflict moment. Yeah. Yeah. It was odd, but, uh, I did actually, that's one of those things I feel like I can't speak for you guys, but as a kid, I never picked up on the, the fact that Qui-Gon starts to get tuned into Anakin's force abilities by the fact that he can pod race, which is actually Yeah, I thought that cool. was actually cool. Yeah. It's like his, his senses are so tuned that he can like have these quick reflexes. And whenever we actually see the pod race, it's not one of those things where you kind of like look at the screen and you're like, what were they talking about? You actually go like, okay, yeah, <laughs> clearly this takes something that, you know, I guess just the re- a regular human couldn't do that the reflexes needed. Like, it's just kind of, you know, up there. So that was actually cool. I, I never really picked up. The, the fir- I like him, uh, the first mention of him, he can see things before they happen. Which helps him in the pod racing. And that's cool setup for the future, because we know how, I mean, that's literally, I mean, it's fine, I think we spoil it, but I mean, that's kind of seeing the future, or I guess seeing things before they happen as Anakin's downfall. And that's also, that played a, a large part for Luke in uh, the original. So that was, I like the use of that line. That was cool. Um, they do agree to enter Anakin into the race. They come to an agreement with Watto where Qui-Gon bets his ship and Watto agrees to let Anakin race because Anakin is his slave. And the agreement is if they win, they will get the hyperdrive part. But if they lose, Watto will get Qui-Gon's ship. And eventually Qui-Gon changes the bet to include winning Anakin's freedom. Um, then we go back home to Anakin's house where we have a brief conversation with Anakin's mother where she says Anakin didn't have a father, which I did not remember at all. So he's pretty much like an immaculate conception, like there was no dad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so they explain a couple things here. Um, the main thing they explain is that, again, apparently that a child, I guess, born of the midi-chlorines itself is the chosen one. So that's why... Anakin might be the chosen one because he didn't have a father. He was just born and he has the highest midichlorian count. So that's the bad idea. In terms of, do they explore it later? No, they don't at all, which is weird. But I just didn't remember this at all. Yeah, but they do. It's weird because I feel like I could be wrong on this. We'll get into, I'm sure, in later reviews. But I think they kind of debunked this in future movies, like in the sequel trilogy. But I think... You might have to have people jump in on this, but I think that the original idea, like in one of like the canon books or something, was that not only was Anakin born of the midichlorians, but like the emperor, like somehow through the Sith powers, like twisted the midichlorians. So basically he influenced the midichlorians to, to like birth Anakin. So he was kind of born of the Sith in a way. So it's kind of like, Oh, the emperor made this happen. He's kind of his father in, in a weird way. Um, I, I don't know if that was canon though. Anyway, that, that's the idea, but not in the movies. So don't get excited about this being answered. later. <laughs> so obviously in the next two movies, the Metaclorian thing goes way off the rails, but what are your thoughts just looking at this movie in a vacuum on the Metaclorians, like as they're introduced? I hate it. 
I don't like <laughs> I don't like that you know they set up the force in the original and now it's like a it's like a level based system. Yeah. <laughs> it just seems weird, and it's it, it's just like the perfect example of I appreciate people trying to explore cool things when it comes to stuff like this, but ultimately it's like you already had the force and it was already kind of this vague thing. And I think it's kind of important to keep it that way. If you try and explain it when it comes to this kind of thing, like why people have the force, what their count is. Like, yeah, it makes you, like it's just too much. I feel like, I don't know. The weirdest thing for me is later he's explaining some of the Metachlorian stuff to Anakin. And he says, if you're quiet enough, you can hear them talking to you, which I found extremely weird. Well, I- yeah. That these like things that live within your cells, if you're quiet enough, you can hear them. And that's supposed to be the force, I guess, too, guiding yeah. you. Yeah, I guess basically in, in the prequels, they decided to make the force like a gene that you have. Essentially. Yeah. yeah. So I think that turned people off. I certainly, is it the worst decision in the world? No, I just think it's a weird thing to add after we saw. Well, it just kind of messes everything up for all the other characters because you, you wonder how many mini chlorines did Luke have or Leia have? Did they, did they have the same amount? Yeah. How many did Obi-Wan have? Like you're just wondering all these different levels. Obi-Wan in the originals had five because he sucks as a Jedi. So. <laughs> Come on. Nice. <laughs> nice. Um, so Anakin does finish building his ship and then we get into the pod races. And we get the sports announcer aliens, which I thought was hilarious. Anakin Skywalker I comes on out. Actually. <laughs> oh, there goes young Skywalker. <laughs> I I remember like not finding the pod race very exciting, but on this rewatch, I, like I actually really race. enjoyed it. Oh, yeah. 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 It's the best part. At least uh, one of like the two best parts. We'll get to the other one later, but yeah, I know it's pretty awesome. It almost feels like Mad Max, like the way this race plays out. Yeah. There's elements of that. Um, yeah, we got that sweet arcade game that you can play at Records all the time. That's true, yeah. I did like all the characters they introduced with all their weird names. Like, oh, there goes Ben Quadadero! <laughs> <laughs> I, was like, I was just laughing at their names. And then, like like I said earlier, like Sebulba murder, murders all these people. Yeah, he's definitely cheating. I guess that's allowed, <laughs> though. I mean, I don't know what the rules of pod racing are, but I mean, like, he pretty blatantly, like, kills most of these people. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> that's kind of his strategy, but... Yeah, and like we talked about earlier, I like that we actually get some cool scenes of Anakin being a good pilot. Um, I do kind of funny that they set up he's never actually finished a race, like two minutes before the race is about to start, though. You've never even finished? (laughs) But Anakin does win the race, and therefore they get the part they need, and Anakin is released from slavery. Eventually, they do head back to the ship, but right before they can take off, Darth Maul catches up to Qui-Gon. We get our first little... Jedi on Jedi fight action. Again, another example of a cut where it's just, it cuts from one thing where it's completely peaceful and that just cuts and like literally two seconds later, like it cuts from him. All right. He says like this tearful goodbye to his mom that Qui-Gon did not fight for her freedom at all. Also, why not just take her and just like drop her off on a different planet where she's not a slave? Well, she has that chip in her that explodes if you flee. Oh, I miss that. Well, there you go. Yeah, they they said that the slaves have chips in them. Because remember, Anakin's like, I'm going to find it and take mine out. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there you go. I guess that's the answer. Um, Yeah, so they literally do the tearful goodbye and they start to walk away. And then it cuts. And a second and a half later, (laughs) like Anakin's like, Master Qui-Gon, I'm tired. And then Darth Maul's just there. (laughs) And he's just like (laughs) flipping up and attacks Qui-Gon. And at this point in the movie, you have to kind of go, Based on the way this fight's going, Qui-Gon's not making out of this movie alive. Because <laughs> he's an okay fighter, but is he great? No, no, no. <laughs> not, not very much. He literally fights him for maybe, conservatively, 20 seconds, and then he jumps onto the ship, and he just looks like... Exhausted. He's, he's, he's exhausted. He has no cardio at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. His mini chlorine. I mean, he doesn't have very many mini chlorines, to be fair. Um, if Obi-Wan only had five, he's probably got like seven. Yeah. No, that's fair. I would say that's fair. Um, yeah. So, I mean, the introduction of Darth Maul is obviously cool. Uh, we don't really know too much about him or what he is at this point. But then the red lightsaber pops out and it's like, all right, we know what's up. Um and it's cool. I mean, we don't really see much of the fight, so obviously they're saving the good stuff for later. Um, but then we get one of my favorite scenes in the movie, actually, which is whenever he hops back on the ship and he's exhausted. As I said, and I complained about earlier, I do still think it's weird that Obi-Wan like, 
especially when you think about it in a vacuum, like Obi-Wan was such an important character in the originals. And this is supposed not thinking about the future. This is supposed to be his story. And, and it partly, obviously it's more about Anakin, but it's supposed to be him too. And he's not in the movie that much. And he's like blatantly left out of huge sections. Anyway, so I was annoyed that he was left out of the tattooing stuff. It seems weird, but I will give them props because because they left him out. It does lead to one of my favorite scenes, which is the Anakin and Obi-Wan introduction. I think it's really funny and kind of wholesome. And it does show the good side of Anakin. And like whenever you think about him as Darth Vader, it's just like such a cool contrast. But Qui-Gon's exhausted. Anakin runs in. It's like, are you okay? And they have like kind of like just a quick conversation. And then, of course, Obi-Wan's just there. And so Qui-Gon introduces them. And then Anakin's reaction, I love. He's just like, are you a Jedi Knight too? Like, that's so cool. And then it's like, a pleasure to meet you. And then Obi- even Obi-Wan, who at this point has been, even though he's the apprentice, he's been kind of cold. Even he's like, has like a cracks a smile. He just thinks it's, I think, kind of funny. So I don't know. I think it's a cool introduction. I, li- I like that part. I wish there was more of them in this movie together, but cool introduction for sure. Yeah, so they do flee to Coruscant. Um, where they're greeted uh, by Senator Palpatine, who uh, meets privately with Queen Amendola. Palpatine tells the Queen that the Senate likely will not act on the invasion and asks her to call for a vote of no confident in the current counselor. Um, and then meanwhile, uh, Qui-Gon meets with the Jedi Council, and this is where he asks to have uh, Anakin trained as a Jedi. Uh, you get the first look at like Mace Windu and Yoda, which I didn't yeah. realize how much of a right hand man Mace Windu was because like they were. Him, did you notice how much him and Yoda were looking at each other? Like they're like talking like telepathically, pretty much. Yeah, I think they're the two like most senior yeah. members. So yeah, I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah, they they kind of don't. I mean, they have lots of scenes together going forward, but I feel like Mace Windu is way cooler in other media. So, I mean, I feel like, isn't he supposed to be, like, the greatest, like, lightsaber? Like, I feel like Yoda's thing is that he's, like, the Force guy. Like, that's who you go to to learn about that kind of stuff. And I, I thought Mace Windu was supposed to be, like, the greatest lightsaber yeah. fighter ever. Yeah. And, like, we don't get really any of that going forward. But it doesn't really matter. Um, yeah. That being said, their interactions are cool. Um, again, it, it does seem like a weird move. It's like, look, I get it. I mean, you're finding about finding out about this chosen one and like it does seem that there's some kind of dark side maybe ties and some fear attached to him but i feel like don't you still try and take him in i mean literally if the prophecy is that he's going to bring balance to the force i feel like you just kind of bite the bullet and take him in and figure it out yeah well well right here they agree that they'll at least put him through the jedi trials right that's Um, true and then they also have to figure out who this Darth Maul guy is because um, Qui-Gon thinks he's a Sith and the rest of the council doesn't think the Sith could have returned quite yet. Yeah, that's kind of – they make it clear that this you know hooded figure is the priority. Like they'll, they'll you know talk to Anakin, but Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan need to focus on Maul. Um, and of course, we find out about the incredible – in-depth Jedi trials, which is basically just Mace Windu staring at an iPad, and then Anakin has to stand while all these adults <laughs> stare at his stare at him as he just says, a ship. <laughs> a ship. And then of course the one where he's like, whoa, where they have weird reactions, he goes, a speeder? <laughs> and then they all like they all like look at each other like God, this kid has so much fear in him. <laughs> yeah, I thought that is also where Yoda says that fear leads to anger, anger leads to hate, and hate leads to yeah. suffering. Um, so I guess he he senses so much fear in Anakin that he believes he could end up turning to the dark side. Yeah, I get that. I do like uh, thinking about this scene and then thinking about Yoda in uh, Empire whenever uh, he asks Luke if he's afraid. And he's like, no. And he's like, you will be. I like thinking about where Yoda ends up in the future, kind of how the prequel films jade him. I like how we look at him in the future. But in the context of this movie, I do like the, you know, that line. But again, it's like, it just is weird. We don't, because they spend so much time with the politics, I just wish there was more to learn about the Jedi. It's like, because Anakin's nine and he's apparently like way too old. So it's like, what's the normal process? Like they just like take in orphan children. Like, I, I don't know. Like they take in like five year olds. Is that too old? Well, like remember, uh, when they're on Tatooine, Quaigwan was like, had he been in the uh, living in the rebellion, we would have found him a lot younger. But since he wasn't, right. since Tatooine wasn't in the rebellion, whatever Republic. Republic. Yeah. I'm sorry. Republic. Um, 
they didn't find him at a young age. I guess it's like, yeah, like two or three years old is when they, I don't know. Yeah. Cause it's also weird because like this kid's just been taken away from his mother and he's like, how, how do you feel? And he's like, I'm cold, sir. And he's like, are you afraid? And he's like, <laughs> he's like, no, I just miss my mom. And then he's like, he's going to the dark side. <laughs> like, yeah. I would, I would assume that in the Republic, they're probably doing like testing in schools for metachlorian levels or something. Sure. Yeah. Probably, I don't know. Probably. Something um, like that, yeah. But the second act does conclude uh, with the queen calling for a no confidence vote in the current chancellor. And then she decides she needs to go back to Naboo to be with her people. And so the Jedi Council sends uh, Obi and Qui-Gon with her to keep her safe. Yeah. Again, again, I don't find most – there's just so much. I think I I find a lot of the politics stuff interesting, but just – the amount of it is too much for me. I feel like in a movie like I really like the Senate. But I was just going to say, I was just going to say, I do like um, the no confidence aspect. And a lot of these prequels are low key about, you know, the chancellor Palpatine, you know, finding ways to get power. So Mm -hmm. he's like, Oh, you know, do a vote of no confidence. And then you, you and me, you and me are cool. So I'll get in there and then I'll be on your side. So there's some cool stuff in there that explains how he gets to where he gets. I like that he is kind of like this like skeevy politician too, like for a good part of this film. Yeah. Like he's not just this intimidating Sith Lord. Like he also does have this political side of him. Yeah. His, no, I, his manipulation powers at the same time. Yeah. Let's now get into the third act. Our heroes land back on Naboo and quickly form an alliance with the Gungan army. The Gungans launch a frontal assault on the Trade Federation forces, while Qui-Gon, Anakin, Obi, and Padme sneak back into the palace with the Resistance forces. Eventually, the Resistance pilots launch an attack on the Federation starbase with Anakin in tow. Qui-Gon and Obi face off with Darth Maul, while Padme attempts to capture the Federation leaders. Now that sounded pretty fucking cool, by the way. That summary sounds awesome. Is it awesome? <laughs> Some of it. Is most of it awesome? Uh-uh. <laughs> um, yeah, so we got to start with a pretty big reveal, which, I mean, it's hard looking back on, like, how did you feel when you first saw this? And it's like, for me, I don't know, because I was, like, maybe three or four years old when I first saw this. So I don't know what my reaction was when I found out Padme was actually the queen, and like they were using decoys and swapping back and forth. You mean Kara Knightley's not the queen? Yeah. Um, so I don't know, but like in the context of, of course, already knowing it, it does just feel like a weird reveal. So after the reveal, uh, you know, the Gungan forces do agree to join sides with uh, the Naboo fighters. What are your guys' thoughts on just like the Gungan leaders and their forces? I hate their fight scene. Their fight scenes are uh, dumb. That's what I skipped most of whenever I was watching it on this viewing. I just like. I had to skip through it, like fast forward. Uh, I don't, I, I, I get it. I get why they're doing it. This uh, re like reunion of the land dwellers and the sea dwellers, whatever you want to say. But uh, I just, I guess at that point in the movie, it wasn't built up enough for me. So I didn't really care. Whenever there was this triumphant moment of them coming together, it was kind of just whatever to me. I like, I like the other Gungans more, like way more than Jar Jar. I know. People have talked to They actually speak English. Like, Jar Jar speaks this weird tongue. Like, my, my, my. And then the other guys are actually speaking, Jar Jar, come over here. Like, they're actually speaking. Yeah, the captain. Their leader, like, I actually find him really funny. And then there's like another Gungan soldier that like helps Jar Jar. And I like that guy too. Captain Tarples is his name. And people have talked about, this guy seems like, and I guess to be fair, Qui-Gon just ran into Jar Jar. It's not like they went to Gungan City first and the Gungans were like, take our, take our scout Jar Jar with, uh, with you or whatever. They just ran into him. But I feel like this movie could have been cooler if like the Captain Tarples or whatever was the Gungan that was focused on. Especially because he's cool and yeah. not a loser. So, uh, yeah. Anyway. Um, but yeah, also this fight scene seems like very similar to the Endor fight with the Ewoks. I guess there's similarities, but I mean, there's no traps or anything. It is more of like an army versus an actual army. Like it's, it's not, it's like the Ewoks are just like trying to do a distraction and hold, like give them time. It does feel like they're actually trying to fight here. The Gungans actually there's have some, real weapons too. Like, yeah, they have big blue balls <laughs> yeah. that like destroy ships or something. And the big shield also, too. They had the shield that went over everything in the beginning. I mean, yeah. I much prefer the actual scenery of the Ewok fight though. Like in, like in like this actual 
practical forest as opposed to the fucking screensaver on every computer like the smooth <laughs> green hills like, it looks so shitty it looks it looks so awful. Bad. Um, this is easily of like the five branching storylines throughout this climax this is the one that i just care not at all about obviously i get why it's there but i just i, I didn't want to watch this one <laughs> I, I like the other ones way more Alrighty, well let's so let's go to the Darth Maul fight now. Yes. Eventually, Darth Maul does show up, um, and this is one of my favorite fight scenes in the movie. This is the best scene of the movie. This is also the best lightsaber fight yep. in the franchise. This is the best lightsaber fight in the entire franchise. It's yeah. awesome because here's here's my thoughts on that: is that uh, the problem with the fights in Episode Two is that they all involve Christopher Lee, who's a legend, and I love him but he's so old that they had to have him fight practically. So everything is slowed down. And then in Revenge of the Sith, there's some great ones, but they're way too choreographed. It just feels like they're going through the motions. It's like they're reading a teleprompter, like in speech. Yeah. speech. Um, and then the originals just don't hold up as much. Um, so yeah, I think this is the best lightsaber fight because it feels like really cool choreography mixed with, it feels like improvised, you know? Ray Park uh, was just a stunt guy that they had on set. And they were so impressed with the way he moved like for the Darth Maul, like when they were like planning out the Darth Maul fight, they did, they just decided to have him play Darth Maul. So it's like an actual like acrobatic stuntman in this role. And he's, and I like that he fights differently with the double-sided lightsaber than they do with their singles. Like it's just all so cool. All the flips and everything. It's awesome. Ray Park, obviously they don't really utilize him for his acting or like his voice because they barely have him speak, but Certainly they get all their work out of them when it comes to stunts and acrobatics and all that fun stuff. But yeah, like I was saying, I mean, the reason it's so cool is like, it's not like a video game where your character is surrounded by so many dudes or like people trying to kill you and like, but they only hit you one at a time. Like, I don't know how long they spent on this fight, but props to them because I mean, Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan are attack attacking in tandem and um, Maul is never just attacking one at a time. Like, yeah. He's trying to take them out. You get the sense he's pretty powerful too. Oh yeah, but at the same time, I don't know how they court like did the choreography for this because at the same time it doesn't feel it feels like they're being adaptable and like they're changing it up and they're improvising. It seems like the characters don't know what's going to happen, which I don't know how they did this. This fight's just awesome. It's so cool, and the music. This uh, is where we first get the duel of the fates, which is for me the best Star Wars like orchestral score in the franchise it's my favorite one so badass uh let's let's also just touch on qui-gon's death since we're here um eventually qui-gon just like in the original how luke had to watch obi die um obi has to watch his master die mm -hmm. um so darth maul does end up slaying qui-gon and then obi-wan has like a sweet flip where he grabs obi-wan grabs qui-gon's lightsaber and ends up slicing darth maul in half yeah this is my favorite part of the lightsaber fight whenever Obi-Wan's waiting behind the uh, the red force field thing and then eventually it opens like the anger going through him. Was, he was bad. Like you could just see him just going at it at Darth Maul and Darth Maul did not expect that at all. Yeah, I and, also uh, like how quickly Qui-Gon gets killed. I like that he just basically gets headbutted with the lightsaber and then stabbed immediately. Like there's no like, I don't know. There's no point where he gets like injured and like is like on his knees and then Obi-Wan has to like watch as like Darth Maul just like then stabs him like he literally just like in two moves headbutts him then stabs him and then he's dead it's like they also yeah. they also they also don't do that like classic thing where like the bad guy gets the upper hand and then he has to give a speech allowing yeah. the good guy to regroup yeah. you know like he just mm -hmm. when he sees his opportunity he just takes it and kills him yeah true it's important to bring it up though that this is a very good example of why obi-wan is just a jedi padawan he's not a knight yet because he forgot that in order to save his master, all he needed to do was to use the force run that they used at the beginning to catch up to them. And then he could have caught up to Qui-Gon in that laser beam hallway. But Dude, that, that force run is so weird looking yeah. in that opening scene. Never used again. <laughs> it looks like they're both like the flash or something. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So now let's now go to Anakin in the space battle. Um, Anakin tries to hide in a speeder, but the speeder ends up on autopilot, taking him up into the starbase fight. Eventually, um, they do. Yoda, or eventually, R two is able to take the ship off of autopilot, and Anakin uh, ends up holding his own among all these other pilots. I really like this scene too. Yeah, I think it's cool. I mean, it's ridiculous in its concept that Anakin Skywalker is a young boy. It's the one that does all this and like destroys yeah. the blockade or whatever. But I mean, in execution, actually, I think it's pretty cool. So it's like 
Yeah, I mean, there's some, again, there's some silly lines here. It's like, I know we're in trouble. Just hang on. <laughs> like, there's some- I like how you get their first uh, Anakin and R2 combo. Yes, me too. And they're already kind of like, they seem to work well together. And obviously, yeah. in the next two movies, R2 is kind of like Anakin's droid that always goes in his ship. So it's like their go-to, like, you know, partners or whatever. Just like, you know, again, small galaxy syndrome. That was what Luke and R2's relationship was as well. So it's a little bit like coincidental, but whatever. I mean, it's still awesome, but... I also like that Anakin, like, never really gets scared in this scene. Yeah. Like, he, he's really confident. And again, because why probably. should he be scared? Because he is a fucking poverty. You just avoided being murdered yeah. by Saboba who killed everybody else. It's like, he doesn't really care. I mean, he does this all the time. So it's, it's, and honestly, the pod racing thing is a good example of, it was a badass set piece and also pretty important to the story because it sets up this later. And it's actually kind of cool because you don't have to waste time with him being scared. He's actually kind of just like, just <laughs> messing around in his own role. Like, okay, let's go left. Oh, let's do a spin move. That's always fun. Like it's actually kind of <laughs> funny and it's kind of cool. All right, now let's go to the Padme plot. Matt, I have a question for you. Yeah. I remember how much you love that suction cable in Empire. Were you happy to see it make a return in this film? Well, I thought it was weird whenever the suction cable hit the wall, it made like a fart sound. And I thought it was also (laughs) weirder. It was one thing when Luke did the suction cable by himself. It It looked pretty cool. It was another thing when they all... 10 of these people got in a line. <laughs> it's, it's, it's weird watching them all so 10 raise up at the exact same time. <laughs> it's just funny looking, watching them all dangle yeah. there. Um, this is, like I mentioned earlier, the Gungan battle is definitely my least favorite of these uh, set pieces. This one's my second least favorite. At least there's some good bits here and there, some cool action. And I like seeing now that um, Padme is out as the queen, it's cool to see her this young girl essentially kind of, you know, order people around and then listen because she's the queen. So it's kind of, it's a cool, it's a dynamic shift. That's interesting. Um, and I like that the trade federation leaders still think the decoy is the queen because mm-hmm. they don't know yet. So they kind of fall for that. And then Padme is able to capture them. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not great, but I think it's good enough. It's, it's just tough when you have such a badass space battle and then like the best lightsaber fight in the franchise. And like they have to cut away to this, shitty Gungan droid battle and then this one which is cool yeah. it's just not as exciting and then you know but whatever so old Darthy gets killed mm-hmm. um, Anakin destroys the control center which then disables all the droids and then Padme caption, captures the Federation leaders and they essentially win the fight at Naboo newly minted Chancellor Palpatine shows up um, and congratulates the Queen on her victory mm-hmm. he says together they're going to bring peace and prosperity to the galaxy um, Obi meets with Yoda, who says he doesn't agree with Anakin taking uh, with him taking Anakin as his Padawan, uh, but the Council outvoted him, and then they hold a funeral for Qui Gon. Yeah, lots of cool stuff here. I love the Chancellor's line to Anakin. What does he say to him? He's like, "I look forward to watching your career." Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's like that smiling cool. as he walks away. I yeah. like that uh, Qui Gon's like last words to Obi Wan is just you know promise making him promise to train Anakin. I like then seeing. Obi-Wan, who we know doesn't really want to. I mean, straight up, like he doesn't want to, but he's going yeah, he's he's to do it. That. He's going to do it. And not only is he going to do it, he's going to tell Master Yoda that I don't, I'm going to do it. <laughs> like, I don't care. I'm going to. And then Yoda, of course, kind of is just like, okay. And then he does. And then, yeah, there's lots of cool stuff here. And then, the, and then at the funeral, we've got some cool lines as well between, again, Mace Windu and Yoda, like who was the one that died, the Master the Apprentice. And then the camera pans over and we see the Chancellor. It's pretty cool. I, I enjoy the this ending. I like when they, they established the rule of two, Mace Windu and Yoda. When he's like, they're talking about the Sith Lords. Like, can we no more than two, but no less? Or or what was it like? Always always two, it's Just right? always two. Yeah. Yeah, yeah always two. Yeah. Very similar to um, A New Hope. We have another parade celebrating the Naboo and Gungan alliance. Um, Padme and Anakin smile at each other. And then the credits roll. Yeah, they basically eye-fuck each other. And then in order to symbolize peace, for some reason, the Gungans are given that that ball. You see it like a museum with the electricity that you put your hand on. Yeah. Like the, the bolt that touches you. It's like, <laughs> okay. And then like he just screams peace. And it's like, okay, I guess that's the symbol of peace. Uh, and then, yeah, it's cool to see um, Obi-Wan and Anakin sitting with each other. And obviously Anakin now has the Jedi Padawan braid. 
And then yeah. he starts licking his lips and then 52 year old Padme <laughs> looks over and then like, they just like, it's kind of like an unspoken thing. Like they're not together yet, but she's like, definitely we're going to have kids soon. <laughs> but I mean, did you guys see that deleted scene, which was kind of weird. I thought it was a bit too on the nose for me to be honest. So I get why it was cut out, but like, like Padme walks around Obi-Wan, like, like whispers in young Annie's ears, his young, innocent boy ears she whispers, and not only am I going to have your children, but then I want to make sure that our children kiss each other a couple times. <laughs> it's really awkward. Like, I, thought, I thought that part was weird. Lots of weird stuff up and coming for Anakin and Padme. We kind of touched on it at the beginning. Now that we've seen four of these films, what are our rankings? Mm-hmm. All right. Keith? Okay, I'll go Empire, number one, of course. Then New Hope, then Phantom, then Return of the Jedi. I'm going to go Empire, Phantom, A New Hope, Return of the Jedi. And I'm going to go Empire, A New Hope, Return of the Jedi, and Phantom Menace. Wow. I think this movie does have, I give it a hard time. This movie does have good stuff in it that people don't talk about as much, but ultimately I just... I think even though we shit on, you know, the writing line in the last ones, I just think this one's so much worse and I don't like the direction. I don't. I think this writing is way better than Return. Oof. Well, okay. The only one that it's, I think, maybe on par with is Return of the Jedi. Yeah. But overall, and I just think that I, I just don't like, I get that it was revolutionary at the time, but I don't love the special effects now and they rely on it so much in this one yeah. and particularly the next two that I think it does take away a lot, even if. Maybe the originals had some stuff that was less exciting. At least the practical stuff is cool. Um, so yeah, it's last for me. But I, I did, you know, even though I was kind of skipping through parts of it that were boring to me on this watch, I, I do think there are cool stuff. There is cool stuff to be sure. All right. Well, now it's time to do some awards. It can be anything. Uh, we've done meth heads. We've done adoptive fathers. Uh, really anything. So Keith, as always, why don't you start us off with our award ceremony this week? Hmm, I had a couple of awards I was kind of tossing around, but I think I'll go with the most slobbery frog award. Goes to <laughs> the uh, Gungan leader. I can't remember his name, but when he goes, <laughs> he wins the most slobbery frog. That was, for me. that was a very good impression too, Keith. That was pretty good. I did enjoy that. <laughs> I actually really like that though. I don't know why. Yeah, I, I did too. I thought it was funny. <laughs> I'm going to give the creepiest smile award. <laughs> wow. And there were some contenders for this award. There were some other big nominees. Anakin throughout yeah. the entire movie was nominated. <laughs> I, ha- I have to give it to Padme. I found it very unnerving and almost felt like she could have ended up on an episode of the Catch a Predator. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's true. Um, and then also we got to acknowledge that Obi-Wan was also nominated for that after his, after his, the negotiations were short joke, <laughs> his creepy smile. All right. I love that award. I was surprised. I mean, that was obviously yeah. a stacked, very high stacked lineup. Intention. Yeah. Yeah. Very. Yeah. I think it went to the right person though. Um, and my award, of course, I'm happy as always to cap us off here. I'm going to give the award. This one was tough. As Keith said, I was tossing around a couple, but Ultimately, I decided to go with the one that I was most passionate about. And that is the, as we know, the Henry Cavill Honorary Most Inconsistent Mustache Award. And that goes to Liam Neeson and the makeup or hair department. Because (laughs) this guy literally, I don't know how many reshoots they did on this movie, but sometimes he had a full mustache, sometimes literally an entire chunk in the middle was just not there. It was just sometimes, shaved in the middle. Sometimes the sometimes he only had the left side shaved yep. and the right side was still growing. <laughs> yep. So I'm no joke. I don't know if he was shaving his mustache or other people were doing it for him. But people, watch this movie again just to watch for this. Like I'm, I, I've never take a, noticed. Take a it. shot. Take, take a, a shot. shot every time. Every time you notice that it's that it's off. Yeah, because he sometimes it's completely full. And sometimes, like Austin said, sometimes it's just a little bit uneven. And sometimes, I'm not even joking, there's like a triangle cut out in the, in the center. It's just a Jeez. full chunk missing. So I'm happy that Liam Neeson gets um, that award tonight. Uh, congratulations to him and his family. 
All righty. Well, that's going to do it for us today. Um, everybody, thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. Also, if you wouldn't mind sharing us with a friend, we really do appreciate that so we can continue to grow this show. At The Arnie's is our social and thearnies.media is the website. We'll be back next week uh, with an episode that we haven't decided on the topic yet. Ooh. But we'll be back. We will be back next week. And in two weeks, we'll be back with Attack of the Clones in the Star Wars series. This one's going to be dead last. I'm calling it now. There's no way this one can't be dead last. (laughs) This one's so bad. We'll talk to you guys next week. Bye, everyone. Are you an angel? Bye.